0: Amen. Well, it is good to see you this morning and to be sharing with you from the Word of God. As you can kind of see from our little intro video, we've been doing something specific the past couple weeks, uh, and it's been in a desire. Uh, to uh, build on a foundation of some of the core truths of our faith, of what Christians have believed uh, since Jesus was here, and all of that that we derive from the Word of God. So that's what we've been doing the past several weeks, and we've got one more week left next week, is really diving into some of the core doctrines, some of the um, very integral teachings of our shared faith in Jesus Christ. And so we've kind of covered the gamut at this point. We talked about, you know, just the Bible and where we got it and why it's reliable, and then we kind of dove into who who is the God that the Bible describes, this Trinitarian view we have of God. And then what does the Bible say about us as people? What is our position in this reality? And then uh, last week, Pastor Charlie talked about this specific aspect of what God does on our behalf of bringing us into his family, what the Bible teaches about adoption, that our primary identity in this life can be as sons and daughters of God. And so that's what we've been doing is kind of tackling some of these core issues that are essential to our faith because a lot of times when we teach from the word of God, it's building on this foundation that's already been laid in the scriptures. And so we kind of tackle different issues that we face in life. We walk through different books, but we wanted to make sure there's this common foundation we have laid of what are the essential teachings of the Christian faith. And one of those essential teachings is the idea of salvation. And so we talk about this quite often um, and we talk about it in different ways, but we do view it as essential. And it is kind of a, a central premise of most religions is that there is something that's gone wrong, and then that religion is offering a solution. And so this idea uh, kind of permeates uh, religion and permeates spiritual ideas. And so definitely there is a very Christian notion to this idea. And we we talk about it in different ways. We use uh, different words and different terms sometimes to describe this spiritual reality. And so for all of us, we might use the very simple basic term like, oh, oh I am a Christian. And so it means we are adhering to a religion, but there is kind of uh, some core truths embedded in that. We might also say, you might, if you're introducing yourself or describing what you believe, you might use the term like, I am a believer. And so we derive that from the scriptures. Uh, Romans chapter seven says, if you believe in Jesus, you will be saved. And so it's uh, hearkening back to this idea that there is this reality embedded into the world, that there is something that has gone wrong in the world and gone wrong in me, And that I need a work to take place in my life to change that reality that changes my status. And so we use these different terms Uh, within the Christian faith. Sometimes we talk about when I was lost versus when I was saved. We talk about that because Jesus talks about the way he pursues people, that if uh, there is one sheep that got lost, he would leave the 99. And so we talk about that um, before we were Christians. We talk about the fact that we were lost and then we were saved, that something changed in our status. And in fact, a lot of times we encourage those of you to pray for lost friends, lost family members. And what we mean by that is this biblical reality that there are those who have not encountered Jesus Christ, have not uh, begun a relationship with him, and so we would view them as outside of our faith and in need of a transformation to happen in their lives. You might have heard the term, sometimes they use it like, I am a born-again Christian. And once again, that's coming from the Bible. John 3 talks about it with Nicodemus, that you have to be born of water and the Spirit to receive eternal life. So once again, it's conveying this picture of something needed to change, to transpire in something's life, a change of status. And so, uh, biblically, it's this reality of moving from a state of condemnation to eternal favor with God. And we reduce that simply to the idea of salvation. We need to be saved. That There is something in me that has gone wrong, and I need a work of God to change my positional status in this world from one of condemnation to one of eternal favor. And so since this is an essential aspect of adhering to Christianity, um, it gets talked about a lot. We do use all these terms. We dive into these different stories within the Bible that describe this spiritual reality and try to give it some um, uh, some present and physical terms that we can latch onto so we can try to understand it. Uh, but even within the scriptures, specifically the New Testament, when it comes to some of these works that happen within our lives, uh, a lot of times the word mystery is attached to it, that there is this mystery. That goes into our salvation, and that somehow and in some way, when God gets a hold of our lives, this status changes, and we go from this place of condemnation to this place of eternal favor with God. And so, uh, last week was a part of that, talking about adoption, that how God views us as bringing us into his family as a son and a daughter. And so, we want to continue in that vein today. And so, there is a lot of kind of debate and question and theological inquiry as to how this process works that has some mystery to it, like, okay, uh, so what begins in that process? You know, sometimes we might say like, when I found God, and then somebody might shoot back and was like, well, you didn't find God, God found you. And so what t- took place in my heart, in my soul, and in what order did God do this work that brought me into this change of status with him? It is There's so many books written about this, and we might um, adhere to some very specific notions of that. And so, um, you know, as, as good uh, evangelical Protestants, conservative Bible believing, we might say things like, you know, by grace through faith alone. And so it's this recognition that whatever happened in the spiritual reality in my heart and my soul, I didn't do it. It was all Jesus. And that's a great, incredible way to stand uh, on this position right here. And so we talk about it in different ways. And I think most of us would know that that is a teaching of Christianity, that Jesus Christ saves, that it is a work of him that we receive into our life. And that changes our position. That's what makes us Christians, which originally meant little Christ, that they were living like Jesus. And so we know that Jesus is central. But a way I have found in my own heart and in my life and as I have interacted with the church and with different people, that although I might understand that in an intellectual way, a lot of times what I live out in my Christian life could be more reduced to the idea of moralism. And so we know Jesus did it. And that he is central to this idea of Christianity, but how I live is I want to be slightly better than I was before. And so we get that a lot in church. And I'm I'm not going to uh, view that negatively because I think it's tapping into this God-given desire that something has gone wrong and we want these corrective steps in our life. We do want to live better. So you you see that sometimes with families that uh, you know maybe a family has kids and they remember those teachings they had as a child. They're like, you know what? I wanna raise my kids right so I'm gonna bring them back into the church and hope that some good values, some good Christian values get instilled in their lives. We can reduce this idea of what it means to be a Christian to the idea of moralism. But once again, we probably know that that's not probably quite the Sunday school answer. We know it has more to do with Jesus. But one of the things I've found in my own heart and life is that sometimes I can just treat Jesus like a genie. And so like I know he's the answer, so it's not about me being better, it's more about Jesus. But what I find myself doing is I go to Jesus because I want to get his stuff, And so it's like, okay, what's going on in my life that I need help with? Like, okay, I know the good Christian solution to that is Jesus. And so, Jesus, I have this problem. I need you to fix it. I'm going to turn to you. I'm going to come to you. I was reading this book back years ago, which has become one of my favorite books. It's really short, um, but really profound. It's called Seeing and Savoring Jesus Christ. And I remember the very first time I read it, and I had been um, uh, walking with Jesus a long time. I'd been a Christian since a child, so I felt kind of far along in my faith. And I remember I got to the introduction of the book, and the very first line in the introduction was, the purpose of this book is to see Jesus Christ as an ends and not a means. And I felt so convicted that I just closed the book, and I had to ponder that for a while. Because what it exposed in my heart, in my life, is that so often... I want the giver of the gifts, uh, the gifts of the giver and not the giver himself. That I use Jesus Christ as a means and not an end. And I do that in a very spiritual sense. I want to be more godly. I want to be more holy. I want Jesus to work that out in my life. But what I want to talk about this morning is what is the essence, mode, and purpose of our salvation? And I want to look at one verse really quick that I think will kind of set the tone, and it's one that uses that term mystery, and then it digs into this reality that we find embedded all over the scriptures. So if you would go with me to Colossians chapter 1. Because the Apostle Paul, as he writes to this church, he's going to describe this spiritual reality that we talk about in all these different ways and has some mystery to it of this transformation that takes place in our life. So we're going to put, pick up in verse uh, 25 and read 25 through 27 of Colossians chapter 1. And this is what Paul says. It says, Of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you, but I think there's a lot of incredible things that are taking place in that sentence. He mentions this idea of mystery, this transformation that takes place in his life. And this, that's what he says right there at the end of verse 27. And this is what the mystery is. Christ in you. It's a very profound idea if you think about it, because once again, it's so easy to have these Sunday school answers we have in our life, like we know it's about Jesus, but what we live out is typically the idea of the scale. Like I just wanna put a a couple more good things on my life versus the bad things so that it evens out at the end and maybe God will allow me into his eternal retirement in the sky. But what Paul is saying is the mystery right here is the spiritual reality that we try to attach these words onto that should um, inform our idea of what it means to be a Christian and what it means to be saved is this, Christ in you, the hope of glory. And so I want to start digging into this idea, and if I'm just honest with you, I'm still like wrestling with how to get my mind around these concepts that the scripture lays out for us, and I think that's why you do see this word repeated within Paul's writings a lot is that there is some mystery associated in it, but the biblical reality is that the essence of our salvation— What the point of all this is about is union with Jesus Christ. And so that's what we want to talk about as a whole this morning is union with Christ. And we would say that that is an essential doctrine of the Christian faith. That the point of what we are doing here and uh, the overarching narrative of the scriptures is that as a created people that were separated from their God through their sin to bring us back into that right relationship with him, the purpose and point of my life is to be united with Jesus Christ. And so that's why he says the mystery that he is proclaiming, that the glory and hope of the world is Jesus Christ in me and Jesus Christ in you. The point and purpose of our salvation is union with Jesus Christ. Uh, a 20th century theologian named Anthony Hokema said this. He says, once you have your eyes open to this concept of union with Christ, you will find it almost everywhere. In the New Testament, and so that word literally means just a a joining together. We use this word union in different ways, and so we uh, should have an image that it conveys. But it is this joining together. And so, uh, so often I find in myself and within the church that when we talk about salvation, we typically focus on what Jesus is saving us from. So we know that reality, that uh, that condemnation we feel in our heart and our life when we have messed up, when we have rebelled, when we have turned away from God. We have those sin issues, and so we do focus on the cross and Jesus' payment for our sin, that um, how, how how do I know I'm saved? Because my sins have been forgiven by Jesus. But what was the point of that saving work to begin with? To restore us to the relationship God intended us for. And so we are saved from our sin, and we are saved to union with Jesus. And so we need to keep that as essential in our lives, that the reality of the scope of history is that God is redeeming his world to go back to the garden the way he intended it, with no separation between us and our Heavenly Father, our Creator God. And so the point of that saving work God has done in my life is not to make me a slightly better person, but to unite me to him through his son, through the work of Jesus Christ. So once again, I think it's so essential. And I love that quote that once you kind of get this idea in your head that the point of our faith is to be united with Jesus, you just begin to see it all over the Bible. Uh, Flip to Ephesians chapter 1. So last week, um, Pastor Charlie used this passage, and it just shows the depth of the scriptures that it does talk about this idea of adoption, that God looks at us in a familial way, that we are sons and daughters of Jesus. But I I wanted to go back to this passage. So we read it last week and saw all kinds of um, important things within it. But I want us to read it again this week with this lens on it. And um, if if you've got a pen, if you've got a highlighter, I would just encourage you, we're going to look through uh, verse 3 through 14, and I want you to look for certain phrases. So I want you to look just as we read it, and maybe you've read the Bible Uh, a lot of times. I I know for myself, sometimes I just kind of get overexposed to it, and I miss how uh, incredible some of the statements are. And so here's what I want you to look for. I want you to look for the words, in Christ, and I want you to look for the words, in Him. And so as we are reading this, I just want you to have that lens that what this is talking about, this salvation work that God does in our life and the mystery associated with it, All of it has to do with us being in Christ and Jesus being in us. It is about union. So uh, key in on that as we read it. Verse 3, Ephesians 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him, in love He predestined us for adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace, with which He has blessed us in the beloved. who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory did you pick up on that you, you see that embedded in it over and over and over again. And there's probably this reality that it connects some dots with how we heard about the Christian faith. And so even as a child, so often we uh, might look back at those moments when we would say we became a Christian and we say we invited Jesus into our heart. And so there might be some contention about uh, which um, um, person of God is doing that work, but there is this reality that you see in the scriptures a lot that it, when it talks about our life and the life that we live in the saving work, the central figure in all of that is Jesus Christ. And so it is not a reality of, uh, okay, am I holding the right thoughts in my mind? Did I complete the right action? It is a reality of being brought into this relationship where Christ is doing all of this work for us. And so you even get the word united in him in this passage. So I love, as I went through and counted earlier this week, it's just like nine different times it conveys this image in Christ, in him, in him, over and over and over again as it's talking about this larger spiritual reality of God, how, how God moves us from this position of condemnation into eternal favor. All of it has to do with us being found in Jesus and Jesus being found in us. The point of our salvation is union with Christ. I want to look at several other passages, and I just want you to keep that lens on it. How does it talk about this reality in our life, this salvation that we experience? Uh, I'm going to go pretty quick. Uh, It'll be up on the screen, um, so you can follow along with me. Romans chapter 6, verse 5 through 8 says this. in life, it is about union. Ephesians 5, verse 25 and 32. I think this one might be um, just the most profound the way it talks about it. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church, and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. It's incredible. So he uses this uh, reality that so much of, um, of what we experience and live in this world, uh, God is not a reflection of our experience. Our experience is supposed to point us back to God. And so we see this in the parental and child relationship. Like my relationship with my dad, God is not a reflection of it. Hopefully my father's relationship with me is a reflection of God. And so think about last week when we talked about the reality of adoption that God brings us into his family. Um, the spiritual reality is God describes himself in this three-person Trinitarian God as God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. So how can God view us in this position that he already has filled within himself? He unites us to his Son. And so in the same way, if we think about union, uh, probably most often in my life right now, if I'm talking about that word, it is in regards to marriage. We talk about the union of marriage that, hey, it's two people becoming one. And uh, what the Apostle Paul is saying right here, that idea is supposed to tell us about Jesus and his church. And what is Jesus and his church? It's the people that believe in Jesus Christ. And I love that he says it, this mystery is profound. This bringing together, this joining of life, this, um, I love how it says no one hates their own body. And so, how do we know that Jesus loves us? Is that he made us a part of his body and he nourishes it and cherishes it. This mystery is profound. And I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Union is the point of our salvation. Philippians 3 says this in verse 8 through 10. In the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings becoming like him in his death. Once again, the essence of our salvation is being found in Jesus and Jesus being found in us, not having a righteousness of our own, but that which belongs to Christ. Colossians 3, 1 through 3 says this, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God, Set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are on earth, for you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Final one, 1 Corinthians 1 verse 30 says this, And because of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. So once again, we talk about all of these realities that go into our salvation. And so we talk about this need for justification of uh, being declared righteous before God because God doesn't let unholiness into his presence. And we talked about sanctification. We talked about this uh, process God brings us through of being made perfect over time until we are united with him for eternity. We talk about all these different aspects of our salvation, but at their essence is really one thing union with Jesus. And so um, I I really have a a one-point message this morning, and here's here's what it is. As we look at all these scriptures and uh, see this reality painted over and over again of how we are supposed to be united with Jesus, here's what I want you to take away uh, from today. Jesus does not give us salvation. Jesus is our salvation. Salvation is found in no one else but in Jesus Christ. We cannot have a saving work. We cannot have a transformative work in our life, even if we think it was done by God, if it separates us out from being united with our Savior. And so I love that last verse we read right there in 1 Corinthians one thirty, because I think we could repeat that phrase over and over again. It says, because of him you are in Christ who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. And so once again, Jesus is not give us salvation. He is our salvation. Jesus does not give us righteousness. Jesus is our righteousness. Jesus does not work sanctification in our life. Jesus is the sanctification in our life. When God looks at us, he sees Jesus because Jesus uh, assumed human flesh and lived the life that I could not but offered himself to me in relationship that I could be brought into this mysterious reality that my life is now in Christ and Christ's life is in me so that when God the Father looks on me and brings me into his eternal kingdom, it is as his son because his son is in me and I'm united in a relationship with him. This mystery is profound, but it refers to Jesus and his church. Jesus does not give us salvation. He is our salvation. And it would be a whole another sermon, but Ephesians 1 talked about how this union actually takes place is through the promised Holy Spirit. And so we don't have enough time to get into it, but what uh, the Bible teaches is that the presence of Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of the Father who is incarnate and is ascended to the right hand of God. God who stands there and advocates on my behalf. His presence is mediated into my life because the Spirit of God lives within me. Jesus is my salvation. Jesus is my righteousness. Jesus is my sanctification. I do not have any of those things apart from Jesus Christ. No, regardless how moral I might live, my salvation is Jesus. He does not give it to me and then send me off into this world to fend for myself and try to put a little bit more good on the scale than bad. He is my salvation. Jesus is my life. And so you think about those passages that we read and reflect where it talks about um, at at, at the end of all things where sometimes people are like, uh, Lord, Lord, didn't I prophesy in your name? Didn't I do miracles in your name? Didn't I live out these good, biblical, spiritual things? And Jesus says, depart from me, you never knew me. Because the essence of our salvation is not on my ability to keep rules. The essence of my salvation is that my life has been united in Jesus Christ. Jesus is our salvation. Uh, Pastor John Piper said it like this. I would define union with Christ like this. It is the reality of all the ways that the Bible pictures our human connectedness to Christ, in which he is indispensable for every good that we enjoy. No saving good, no eternal good, no God-exalting good, no soul-satisfying good comes to us except as we are connected to Christ. He is our salvation. Uh, Marcus Peter Johnson, a professor of theology at Moody Bible, he said it like this, The primary, central, and fundamental reality of salvation is our union with Jesus Christ because of which union all the benefits of the Savior flow to us, and through which union all these benefits are to be understood. I do not receive the things of God. I receive God himself. I don't come to Jesus as a means to get an end that I want. Jesus is the end that I want. I can't have The gifts without the giver. I don't want the kingdom without the king. I don't want heaven if Jesus is not there because Jesus is my salvation. And the essence and point of what we are doing here is to unite our lives with him so that we can be brought into his family and be restored in the relationship God intended us for. But how do we live that out? This is what Jesus said to us in John 15. He said this, I am the true vine. He it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me, you can do nothing. Um, when you um, are in a uh, pastor world and you spend a lot of times teaching, you you end up with a couple of phrases you like to repeat over and over again, and typically because they represent a really good point point. and so one of the things I, I say to our college students a lot kind of the beginning of every semester, try to just lay my my cards on the table is like "Hey, I have an agenda when you come to my ministry, and it 's for you to know and love Jesus." But one of the things I say for for our young people and I think it 's true for all of us that my, my goal as a pastor is to teach and instruct and push you in in such a way that Jesus is not a part of your life but Jesus is the point of your life because the reality is like we recognize within our humanness there is this spiritual need so we know we need something kind of other as a part of our life and so sometimes we are kind of checking the boxes in all of our lives like okay, got the financial thing under control found a spouse things are good on the family side but then at times we can just kind of sprinkle in Jesus as one of those extra things. You know, as we think about a a well-formed life, it's like, okay, I go to church on Sunday because that's a good thing to do. It helps my kids get better. You know, we kind of have all those aspects of our life. And so often I, I find that, that most of us want Jesus as a part of our life. But where we can err so often is that we just want him to have a part and because i still have these other goals over here and i have these other values that i want fulfilled and i i want a nice retirement and i want this level of comfort and i don't want those spots of my life i want poked at i want those off limits and so we we invite jesus into a part of our life but we never transition to making him the complete utter point of our life like he is it the purpose of this life is to unite us once again in the life we were supposed to live, devoid of sin, um, in this relationship with our creator. And the only way we will experience that again is uniting our lives with Jesus Christ. He is our salvation. I want to end with one more passage of scripture, and it's a, it's a story um, that really just um, sticks with me a lot. Luke, Luke chapter 10. It's a simple story. It's not very long. Um, But it's about two sisters named Mary and Martha. Luke uh, chapter 10, uh, starting in verse 38. Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village. And a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet Which will not be taken away from her. I relate a lot to Martha. She's not doing anything bad. In fact, you could, you know, if you were just objectively evaluating their two actions, it would be very easy to ascribe to Martha as being the more responsible one. They had this opportunity where they uh, brought in a prestigious guest into their home, and she was being a, a good hostess and being hospitable, and it said she was busy with many things. She was busy with serving. She was doing all the things. And then, what did it say about Mary? It said she sat at the Lord's feet and listened. I, I love this story. Um, I think it's uh, Im- important um, for a lot of us that are in ministry uh, because so often I can find myself having gone through a whole week of of working as a pastor, and realizing all of my time that I spent with God that week was in preparation to do my job and not out of an overflow of a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so I need this story in my life. But I love what Jesus says. Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. Who, who could say that reflects their life? But what does he say in verse 42? Verse 42. One thing is necessary, and Mary has chosen the better thing, and that thing is not going to be taken away from her. What was Mary doing? She was being with Jesus. And so I know sometimes it can be hard to wrap uh, an application around a spiritual reality that my life is supposed to be united with Jesus. Like, that's well and good in the church setting, but what does that actually mean as I go and try to live out in this broken world around me? And it's really, like I said, I kind of had a one point for this sermon. There's one point of application. Be with Jesus. There are a lot of things we could busy our life with that are good things, that are moral things, that are upright things. But what Jesus is saying in this moment is there's one thing that is necessary, and that's for my life, to be united with him, Because Jesus is my life. He is my salvation. He is my righteousness. He is my sanctification. He is my freedom. All of my yeses and amens and all of the promises of God are found in Jesus Christ. And so there is one thing that is necessary for you and for me to experience the salvation, to experience the transformation, to experience what Christianity is all about. It's about being with Jesus. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, thank you for the gift.